those of you who are visiting us for the first time and there's a lot of visitors here, I want you to know this is not a, this is not a stock standard sermon that I'm sharing this morning. You're going to hear I and me and we more than I would ever normally share. So I want you to know I'm not trying to take, this is not the ministries of Sean Searle. But I do feel that, um, and I'll explain to you guys in a moment, I, I do feel that this is something that the Lord has, has asked me to do. Um, and it is my story over the last three months, and our story, Chantal and I, and our family. For those of you who are visiting, you wouldn't know this. Um, up until the first, or up until the 31st of December, I still was in the workplace full time. Um, I worked in a sales job. I was a senior member of, of a, a local organization that worked internationally. Um, and towards the end of last year, around about mid-October, um, the call came from the church for us to consider coming into full-time ministry, which is something which we then obviously needed to unpack. Um, and for those of you who might know, a corporate salary versus a, a ministry salary is not the same. It's, it's not even close. So the story that I'm going to tell you this morning is our story. And uh, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable with you, so if I get a bit emotional about it, please don't judge me. Um, but this has been a story actually of God's faithfulness and his goodness towards us. And I felt like that is actually just really going to build nicely on what God has been doing this morning already. So I want to just take us to Romans 8, verse 14 to 15. And we're going to start there. And it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. It's quite interesting that that came up in the worship and it's part of the preach. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And there's a sense in that of as you listen to my story, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, that we're, we're, not in, we're not called to receive a spirit of slavery back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, and I have cried over the last three months, Abba, Father. So if you look at Romans 8, it actually starts, to, the, the whole theme of Romans 8 is talking about life in the spirit, as we live this Christian life by the spirit, and we're called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life where we're not slaves to sin, we're not slaves to fear, but rather slaves to righteousness, where our minds are not prone. Actually, we're not, our default is not fear, but faith. And we're compelled by the peace of God rather than fear. And let me tell you, if I have to be very honest with you guys, many of you know me, for some of you, it's the very first time you've ever seen and heard me speak. Um, I am a man of faith. I try to live a life that is, that is largely driven by faith. And even the decision that we made to transition out of the workplace into full-time ministry was a faith-based decision. But you know where I said there, we're not given a spirit of fear. To be very honest with you, that is exactly how our family ended 2022. In great fear and in great um, anxiety around what this future would hold for us as a family. After 25 years in the workplace, I'm officially a full-time elder. So this is, this is my job. And I, I praise God that he would see fit to use a rubbish like me to lead anything. But he's chosen to, and his ways are not our ways. And um, this process has actually been 
like a mirror in front of my face where I've actually got to see who Sean really is. Not Pastor Sean that looks all glitzy and glammy on a Sunday and tries to look, no, the real Sean. The real Sean, the Sean that has real fears, real anxiety, that is actually, I, I felt like my whole identity, our whole identity was being shaken. Everything that I've known in my life for the last 25 years was being shaken. God shook my security in a paycheck and commission and perks and, you know, all those good things that come with working in corporate. Every single thing that we have is security in terms of home, car, finance. All these things started to be shaken and God started to ask us, are you willing to let go? And very soon, actually, I found my flesh start to rise and it started to protest, and it started to say this call is too big and the cost is too high. And if we have a look in Romans, 6, uh, Romans 8, verse 6 to 8, this actually explains to a certain degree what I went through. It says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And I found that all of a sudden this, this fleshly part of me started to rise up and it went, but, but Lord, if you're calling me, why are you punishing me? Why must, I, why must I give so much up? Can't it be easier? Can't it cost less? Can't it be, be something that, you know, you just magically wave a wand and suddenly I don't have to make any sacrifice to do this? And I didn't, slay, I didn't stray into sin and I certainly wasn't hostile to the Lord. But I did feel that God took us through a process of almost laying every single thing that we held dear down before him and saying, Lord, it's yours. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that story. And you know, God was strangely quiet during this process. And I see some of the, the older folks that have been walking with the Lord for a long time just giving a rag. And you understand, God was strangely quiet. And I was praying and I was shadowing and I was asking. I was saying, Lord, send an angel with a prophetic word for me. I need something to build. I need something to root my faith on. I need a, I need a miraculous something or other. And nothing happened. And I had to search for the loving God. I had to find him. Because it actually wasn't him that was quiet. It was me that was too noisy. There was too much going on. So as I said earlier, this is just, this really, guys, it's not about me um, or about us, but I feel like this is a, a lesson for all of us to learn. And I want it to be something which will encourage us. So as it says in, in Romans 8.14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And I feel like this is a lesson for us in obedience and faith. That would be... That would be the, the, the name of the sermon, if you want to give it a name. Obedience and faith. So in our transition, obviously now we needed to start to process the fact that our expenses are here and our income is here. And we needed to start to plan, what do we do? And it, it, it's, it, was a, it is a big amount. It's, it's not small. It's big. It's very, very big that we needed to try and 
um, just make some changes. And, and, and I was overwhelmed. We were overwhelmed. We reached out to many of you guys and thank you so much for your prayers. Um, and we actually didn't know where to start. It's kind of just like, I don't, know where, I don't know where to go from here. And luckily, I work on a very well-documented budget. It's like literally everything is in there, including my bank charges. Everything is on there. It's very detailed. You can look at it and know exactly. You don't have to be an accountant. So the first thing I did, being a traditional businessman, as I went, right, we'll look at the budget and we'll make some cuts. You know, we're going to amend our, our, our lifestyle. So we looked at everything. And I took that budget to the Lord maybe 30 times and we sat together and I could scrap a couple of things quickly and I made a couple of cancellations and we saved a little bit of money. But then it started to get to the big things. It started to get to the things that cost us a lot and the things that give us a lot of comfort. So then we needed to look at things like our medical aid, which for many, many, many years, I never really had to worry about because my company paid 50% of it and the rest got taken off my salary. I never, I never smelt it for the 10 years that I was in, in, in the organization. So that was, but now all of a sudden, there's a 7,000 rand medical aid that now needs to be done. That's coming off them to me. We had two vehicles because I was in the workplace and Chantal was at home with the kids. We had to process, are we going to let one of the cars go? We had to process, what are we doing with our home? What are we doing with our kids? Are we going to pull our kids out of school and homeschool them and save 5,000 rand a month? What are we doing with our domestic helper? What are we doing with our food budget? Where could we cut on our food? Where, where did we allow luxuries to find their way into our food budget so we could cut those things away so that we could be lean and mean? And it got to the point where every single thing, everything was on the table. There was nothing hidden from God. It was like, God, you can touch whatever you want. So we said, until he asked us to start touching some stuff. You see, we can say to God, God, we can sing the song, you are worthy of it all. Until the time comes when he asks you, am I really worthy of it all? Am I really worthy of it all? So during this process, we, we reached out to many of you guys and people outside of this congregation to pray for us for wisdom. Like I said, you God was quiet and one day I was just, I, was, I used to work at the sanctuary and I was walking around the dam and I was going, God, where are you? Why are you not speaking to me? You've called me. We've established the call. We've established the timing. Why do you not speak? And in a moment, he said to me, you need to get rid of the car. Just like that. And I was like, okay, you've spoken. So as it happened, Chantal, about half an hour, 45 minutes later, was in the shop and she quickly popped in with me and I said to her, babe, I said, I think we need to get rid of the car. And the first reaction was like, ooh, I don't know about that. Like, what do we, we need two cars and, you know, like you here and, you know, and, so, and I said to her, just go away and pray about it. We don't have to talk about it now, just pray about it. And, you know, being the amazing prayerful wife that she was, she went away. And the next morning she came to me and said, Sean, I've got peace. I feel like we need to get rid of the car. So we talked about timing, and we still, I was still earning a salary up until end of December. So we said, okay, well, it'll make sense for us to, to lose the car around mid-December. By then, the kids are out of school, and we, it would be less disruptive. And it wasn't too much longer after that. Some of you know the story, and if you've heard it, please forgive me. It wasn't too much longer after that. Our CEO, who's been working with the organization for over 24 years, 
resigned as well. And then our CFO resigned as well. So there was three senior people that were taking about 60 years of experience and IP out of an organization, resigned within a couple of weeks of each other. And um, the new CEO that had been appointed just happened to be in South Africa from the UK. And obviously, uh, I saw the guy at the coffee station and I couldn't really avoid him. It wasn't a person that I'd actually even had one conversation with in my life. I'd seen him online and we'd spoken in general, but we'd never had a real conversation with each other. And I went up to him and I obviously just wished him all of the very best for his new position as CEO. And he said to me, oh, I believe, Sean, you're not going to be part of our story anymore. W what's happening? So I said, no, well, I'm going to be going into full-time ministry. And he, he kind of looked at me as if I was from Mars. You see, because people don't have a grid for that, they don't understand. And he said, how does that work? So I said, no, well, I draw, I draw a salary. The church does pay me. He said, well, how does it compare with what we're paying you? And I said, well, it doesn't. It's, it's, there's no comparison. And he said, how, how can you do that? In these times, like, our companies, you know, a year earlier had been sold for almost 100 million US. It, this company's on the, on the go. It's moving. We're in excited. How, how can you go from that to that? And I said, it's not something that makes sense. It's, it's a calling. It's a hard thing. And he, he was, and he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, we're gonna have to, we've decided to sell one car. We're probably going to have to get rid of the process, get rid of the house. Those are our two biggest expenses. And then we'll have to change our lifestyle. It's just the way it is. And he said, oh, okay. And he shook hands and off he walked. And that Friday he walked in, he came and knocked on my office door and he said, can I can have a moment with you? And I said, sure. He said, you know, I've been thinking about what you've said since earlier this week. He says, we've got, that, we've got a little Ford Figo. It's a 2012 Ford Figo that's a pool car. It sits at the airport, basically. And when guys come in from overseas, they use that car to get up and down so that they don't have to Uber or spend money on car rental. We've had the car as a company for over 10 years. He said, would it help you if I gave you the car? And my answer was, no, no, thanks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I got up and I said, that, I said, that would be absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. And let me tell you something. This man and I had no relationship. In fact, if anything, I probably would have avoided him rather than going to him. And God used someone who actually I thought was quite hostile towards salespeople to actually bless us. And he made provision. But what I want to, the, 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 the key here is that God had spoken about something. He said, sort the car out, get rid of the car. We acted in obedience to that. And then he made the provision. He didn't make the provision and then allow us to get rid of the car. Does that make sense? So God provided us with a vehicle. And let me tell you something. I received the car on Monday. It's, it's a 2012 car. It is in mint condition. It looks like it's never been driven. It's done only 60,000 Ks. That car is, it really is. It's better than the car that we're driving today. And it's allowed us to have some choices. But once again, God didn't give us the answers and then the test. He gave us the test, and then we reviewed the answers. So obedience was the mission that we had there. So that's one thing down. Awesome. Great stuff. Now we've still got a million things to sort out. And if I had to say to most of you, what is your biggest expense on your budget today, I'm sure that 90% of us would say your house, your rent, your mortgage, whatever it may be. And we 
had, for those of you who were part of our journey in Somerset West, we actually moved to this area and came and built a house just behind the checkers. We built it from scratch. It was a labor of love. In fact, it was what I felt was actually being obedient to something that God had told us to do while we were still in the Sunningdale area. And when we built this house, you can show that picture if you don't mind. When we built this house, one of the things that we felt to do prophetically is that is the foundation of our home. That holy Bible is the first Bible I was ever given. It was given to me by my grandparents over 30 years ago. There's a cross and there's a rock. And we as a family had prayed and we felt like we wanted to base this house on the word of God, the finished work of the cross and the rock of our salvation. And the kids wrote some little letters to Jesus and we put it into the foundation. If you walk into our house, just next to the front door. It's in the foundation of us. This was a labor of love. It was something that we love. Many of you have been through that home. It's been a house that has seen prayer, worship, deliverance, tears, joy. It's been God's house to do whatever he wants. And time started to move on. And we started to get ever closer to this 1st of January where basically that house is going to be taking half of what we're going to be clearing. And we needed to start coming up with some plans. What are we doing? Are we selling? Are we keeping? As you know, selling a house isn't an easy thing. It doesn't happen overnight. There's legal processes that need to take place. We're in December. People are going on leave. We are at our wit's end. We've asked people to pray with us. I'll never forget... Trevor and Charmaine came to us after a leaders meeting and they said to Sean, we've been praying for you. We don't, feel, we don't feel that you need to sell your house. Do you remember that? And we had had the sense of, yes, man, we don't want to let go of this house. This is a house God told us to build. And we started to process some more and we got some other people to pray and other than their word, it was strangely silent. So it was just quiet again, quiet again. And then it seemed like the perfect solution presented itself. You see, because we have a wonderful couple that you guys are going to get to meet very, very soon that are moving to Gordon's Bay. And as we'd started to speak to these people and we had been praying together for some, you know, around this whole transition that we were in, they said, well, listen, we're looking for a house in Gordon's Bay. You're selling, you are potentially selling a house in Gordon's Bay. So if you, if you feel it's right in the Lord, we'll give you a fair price for the house. We'll take occupational rent from the 1st of January and your problems are pretty much solved. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. Can we just take some time to pray? And they said, absolutely. Let's, we'll meet in a week's time and we'll talk about it. And for all intents and purposes, I'll stand before you now. It sounds like a good, it sounds like the right thing, right? It sounds like a solution. It's rent immediately. It's a fair price for the house. We're out of the debt. All the rest of that sort of stuff. We feel like, well, this could be it. And we went away and we prayed about it. And I don't say, I want to just clarify, I don't say that we must base every decision that we make on peace. Because sometimes people that are living in sin have peace. We base our lives on the word of God. But sometimes God will give us peace. Or he will unsettle us so that we don't feel peace. And we didn't feel it. 
We just, I didn't feel it. I could not get a, a sense in me. Like with the car, we felt it immediately. We knew it needed to go. This time I didn't feel it. And it was the solution we were waiting for. It was a solution. It was a real solution. So we decided just to give it the next week and we would make our decision. And in the meantime, I now was coming to the end of my tenure at Red Store and um, some of my co-workers very kindly arranged a going away party for me. So we had a bit of a, a lunch. And then the next day, the CEO that was outgoing, it was his farewell party. So we were at Kavali for a nice uh, dinner. And then the next day was our year-end function. So I got to spend around two days with one of our senior executives that's now outgoing in the business and his wife. And it was actually a very wonderful time because I'd known this man for over 10 years. Um, he'd been very instrumental in mentoring me personally in the workplace. And we got to start unpacking, like, what, is this, what does this call mean? What does it mean to follow your calling to this degree? And we unpacked and unpacked, and they asked questions, and I got to share how much Jesus means and how, having seen the pearl of great price, I would sell everything to get it. And as we were finishing up our, our couple of days together, we were up at Idiom One Estate for our function. Um, the time had come when the, the wine started to taste very good for others, and, and obviously that was my time to exit. So I decided to, to shift out a little bit early, and I went to him and I, just, I said, look, I just really want to say thank you so much for everything that you've ever done for me, the way that you've mentored me, the way that you've loved us, the way that you've helped me through some of the struggles I had in the workplace. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Sean, if you ever need anything, come and ask me. I don't say I'll say yes, but come and ask me. And I thought, well, that's very nice of him. And I kind of got in the car. But as I got in the car, it was almost like God put a little bookmark or a pin in that little comment. It went, and it just stuck in my head. And I went home and we kind of just processed. And a day or two later, I said to Chantal, I said, you know, this is what this man said to me. And I just, I can't get it out of my head. I feel like maybe I need to approach this guy and see if he would be willing to support us. Not invest, because there's no return. Not loan, because I can't pay it back. But just invest in our house. And Chantal's initial response, to be honest, was a little bit cautious. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know, that, like, I don't know if God works that way. And I don't know, maybe you're making a plan now. You're trying to work the system a little bit here. But if you decide that's the route you want to go, you have my support. So that was helpful and not helpful. Because usually we're in perfect unity. So anyway, the time, time came and we met with this other couple that had made the offer. And we said, guys, would you mind just praying with us? Because like, we, we're not feeling this. Um, this is what potentially could happen. I haven't done anything yet, but potentially. And as we spent time together praying and just hearing from the Lord together, the guy actually came to me and said to me, you know what, this is not my house. And I actually am I'm withdrawing my offer. And we knew that what, it was right thing, what I felt was the right thing in the Lord was to approach the senior executive, humble myself, tell him I have absolutely nothing to give you in return, 
But if you would be willing to support us for six months, you would give us time just to process what we want to do next. And there's a lot of ups and downs and arounds, and I'm giving you the highlights package, but let me tell you something like this. This all came with weight. This all came with what ifs and scenarios and what do we do if not and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And slowly but surely, we just had to release and release and release. And we got to the stage where actually we sat with Mac and Nordine and they prayed with us and they helped us. And, and we said, you know what? Because I at that stage hadn't heard anything back from, from him yet. It was two and a half weeks later. And we were flipping out because it was two weeks until the first of Jan. Two days before Christmas, yes. And we're sitting and Mac, the wonderful man of faith, he says, you know what? Let's pray right now. Just because I was going, I don't know what to do anymore now. I've closed the door on that. I've, I have my chips all in God's hands there. He said, let's pray now that God will move. And if he doesn't move by Monday, start getting estate agents through. Start putting the house on the market. Go for it. And we finished praying. And I went onto my email and it was an email from my CEO. And he came back and he said, I've got a couple of questions for you. But in principle, we are prepared to help you. I'll fast forward through that. Essentially, earlier this week, I received the first payment from him that will contribute a portion towards our bond that will allow us to stay in our house for the same price as we'd be able to rent something else. All glory to God. And I'm simplifying, I'm giving you the highlights package. Believe me, in between you, there was lots of tears, crying. <laughs> it, was, it was hectic. But God is faithful. And he made a way for us. He really did. And I'm so thankful to him that we get to keep our home for at least another 12 months. That's his commitment he's made to us, based on the commitment that we will stay in the house for the next so this morning you've heard a lot of me, we, I. And I want you to know this is not my story. It's his story. All he asked was that I would go. And all he asked is that I would be obedient along the way. He didn't give me the full story. I still don't know. There's still other questions that need to be answered. The 31st of January will come, the pay slip will come, and the debit orders will line up like planes at the airport. I don't know how that's going to work. But he's shown me twice how radically amazing he is. But the lesson that I want us to learn, the key that I want to give to you, because I know that there are many of us here this morning that are trusting for your own stuff. And maybe God's been strangely quiet over this period when you've been waiting for direction. Is I want you to know that largely obedience was the key to us getting to where we need to be. You see, because we could, have, we could have grasped for certain things in the process, and I'm not trying to play us up, I'm trying to teach the principle here. We could have grasped for things. We could have decided not to let go of the car, and we would have missed out on the blessing. We could have decided to grab what looked like a very good solution, but outside of the will of God, and we would have missed it there too. And it's in obedience that we get to actually walk into the plans of God for ourselves. So I've got three little points I want to just leave with you, and then we'll pray. We need to be, number one, we need to be obedient to the leading of God by His Holy Spirit. 
And as we read on the board earlier there, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Our job is to wait on God. We've got to wait. We're a microwave generation. We're a generation that I want it and I want it now, and you must speak on my terms and you must speak within my calendar, and if you don't, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to make a decision anyway. We've lost the ability to wait on God. And waiting on God isn't this. Waiting on God is getting stuck into his word. Waiting on God is meeting with other people and going, guys, pray for us. Help us. Pray that God would give us wisdom. It's asking God according to his word. Say, Lord, you say that if any of us lacks wisdom, let us come and ask of you who gives freely and without reproach. We're active in the waiting. We're trying to discern, God, what are you saying? We need to be obedient to the small, still voice. Often in the noise of our own minds, we'll get lost and we'll think God has been quiet, but actually we're just not hearing him. We haven't, we haven't made space for him to be able to speak to us. We need to be unshakingly obedient. Even when God is going to ask us to do something that might cost us our reputation. We've got a lot of youngsters here. You guys are in the fight. You are in the fight. There's a worldview that's trying to cope and, and, and change you and mold you in a different direction to what the Bible says. To be able to stand in the midst of that storm will take courage. and It's going to take obedience. And sometimes your reputation might go with that. But we're called to be obedient despite whatever the cost, our comfort, our security, our own doubts and our own fears. God wants us to move beyond that. The second point I've got for you is that actually obedience is a team sport. Obedience is a team sport. And I'll give you an analogy. While in soccer or rugby, it's one man that scores the trial of the goal. It's the team that puts him in the position to score. Does that make sense? Very often, every single person here should have the ability to hear God. God is the God that speaks. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through teachings. He speaks to us by his spirit. He speaks to us through the prophetic. He's constantly trying to communicate with us. And sometimes it can be very easy to make the decisions by yourselves. There's the Ten Commandments. They're fairly clear. You don't need my input to not murder somebody. You don't need my input to not steal. We should be looking to involve other people in our lives, in our decision-making, not necessarily to bring direction. And I want to say this to us as a congregation. Often, when you're coming to leadership for insights, it should be coming looking to confirm what you believe you've already heard rather than coming for us to tell you what to do. Does that make sense? Because I think very often what happens is you're arriving at your leader's door going, I have a problem, give me a solution. And if that solution doesn't work, then who do you blame? A good leader, when you're coming to him for guidance and direction, which is biblical, it's, I'm talking about team sport as part of what we do, should be, what, Albert, what has God said to you? What do you feel God's saying to you in this situation? I feel this and this and this. Okay, great. You know what? We're going to pray about that. And very often God will use the team around us, our community groups, our leadership groups, 
friends, family, dependable people, people of faith that will help us to find God when it sometimes feels like we can't hear or see him. Does it make sense? So I want to show you a scripture. This must be rooted in the word. This is one of my favorite scriptures, something that I, I, I use all the time. It says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Very often, we've got a plan, we've got a direction, we head off on that direction of travel, and we're going hell for leather, and it doesn't matter who says what, that's what we're going to do. And three, six, nine months down the line, the wheels come off, and now all of a sudden, we want to bring people in to help us. I'm not saying you have to live your life based on what I say, what Chantal says, what your community leaders say, but if you are making a major life decision, and you feel that it's a matter of obedience, involve somebody else in the decision. The word says... Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Does that make sense? Is that encouraging? I hope it would be, because we should, this is how we should live. And the third point, obedience will more often than not require faith. It's easy to obey the command of the Lord when it doesn't require faith. Albert, have you murdered anyone? No. Good. Well done. You've obeyed the Lord. You're an obedient son. It didn't require faith to do that because there's consequence and there's an understanding of the consequence. But sometimes it doesn't, you know, you know what faith looks like? Faith is a little child that's sitting at the table going, Mommy, can I have ice cream? And you say, No, not until you eat your vegetables. If you eat all your vegetables, you'll get ice cream. That child needs to get through the pain of the broccoli to get to the pleasure of the ice cream. But there's an element of faith that mom will do what she says she will do. If I do this, she'll do that. That's basic faith. But sometimes the faith that we need to have is more difficult for us in these times. You see, the world is, whether you know it or not, the world is molding how we are. Social media, the news, the people that are trying to affect how we live are going, hey, it's about your happiness, man. Trust your heart. What does the Bible say about the heart? It's deceitful above all things. And the world is going, what does your heart tell you, Chandra? Hey, you've got this big move to make. What does your heart tell you? It's just important that you're happy. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You have your truth. Does any of this sound familiar? Or am I living on a different planet? This is how the world is trying to change us. God's word never changes. It is the same. He is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. Obedience will require us sometimes to have faith when it's your leader that comes to you and goes, yes, Willem, I don't know if stealing that car is such a good idea, but... Maybe, maybe just let's rent something rather. It's a silly example. But maybe it's a case of, hey, I don't love my husband anymore. I don't love my wife anymore. And I feel God is telling me to divorce them. Can I say right now, God's not telling you to divorce them. I'm sorry if, if, if this is offensive to anyone. I, I don't mean to be. But God honors the covenant of marriage. He's not telling you to do that. Are there circumstances where divorce is allowed? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's where we go to the team and we extend our faith and we say, all right, well, if my leaders are going to come to me, we've got to trust that they are men of authority, that they are men 
or who are, even me, I'm submitted to others. Throughout this process, throughout this entire process, I was submitted to other men who had the, the right and the responsibility to speak into my life and go, that's what I think God's saying. They don't tell me. I can't tell you. I can't command you. I can't demand anything from you. I can say, guys, this is what I think. And then you need to have the faith to move in obedience or not. The choice is yours. It takes, a, it takes faith to believe sometimes that your leaders might see something that you haven't seen yet. There's something down the road. You see, what is, when we look at Timothy and Titus, what do they call an elder? They call him an overseer, one who looks over. He's looking over there and he's going, what does this action mean for you there? If you eat 10 packets of chips each day, it's not, you don't have to be an overseer to go, you're probably going to be overweight and unhealthy if you're doing that for the next year. It's seeing over. It's perhaps seeing something that you don't. And that takes faith. Because you've got, to, you've got to trust someone or at least listen to someone like me. And I'm not that impressive. I'm really not. But God has done something and he's gone, that is one that I've, I've ordained him. There's deacons in the house. There's other people that are, have been given authority with God not to lord it over you, but to help you. To help you to be obedient because sometimes we do need help to be obedient. My children know Hey, I need to be in bed, but half past eight, the lights need to be out and must be quiet. Sometimes I have to just help them to be quiet. They need help to be obedient. They know the rules. They know the right thing to do, but sometimes we need help to be obedient, so, and we will need faith. And finally, it takes, it takes faith to be obedient to God. When like this, through this period for us, there was no angel that came down from heaven and said, blessed son of God, this is what the Lord decrees to you. It didn't happen. Very often it was people. It was other people that came to it. It was a Trevor and Shomain who are now faithful, dependable people. They said, Sean, we've been fervently praying for you and we, we, we feel like God isn't, we, we don't, they didn't say God. They said, we don't feel like you guys are going to get rid of the house. I've got to listen to it. I've got to, quite, I've got to take that and factor it into my obedience. Is this, is this helpful? You guys are very quiet. Is it too hot in here or what? Well, maybe I'm just rusty. If I'm rusty, I'm sorry, guys. I really am. I'm sorry. So the, what's the, what's the wrap-up? What's the takeaway? What's the so what? The so what for us this year, for you and you and you and you and you, is that we need to have obedience and faith if we are going to walk into the breakthrough of God in our lives this year. Outside of that, we're going to be like a fish swimming upstream. It's going to be hard. It's going to wear us out. And we're actually at the end of it, ultimately just going to get washed away with the flood. We need to be obedient. We need to use our faith. And we need to do it together. That's why we have a midweek meeting. I can't disciple any of you in this meeting. It's not the intention of what we're doing here. But in a midweek meeting, that's where we can make our fears and our anxieties and our stresses known to each other. That's where we can live into each other's lives and we can start to understand what makes this person tick. We can start to understand, ooh, that thing doesn't, doesn't actually look quite like Jesus. And we can lovingly be corrected 
It's not a place of rebuke and reproach and, hey, it's not a place really where we come and have massive theological debates about stuff. It's a place where we build family and then we can lovingly talk around subjects. It's a place where we can build our faith and we can be taught obedience. Because for some of us, we don't know. Some of us have, have, have never been part of this. You're going to have people come into your lives this year, unsaved people, people that don't know Jesus, that don't know that it's not okay to murder, steal, to commit adultery, to dishonor your parents. They don't know that. And we are going to be those that are going to be able to gently teach them what it looks like to be obedient. So let's just pray together. Father, first of all, I, I want to thank you for the blessing that it is to be able to share a testimony with this house. You say, Lord, in Revelation that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb, and that we do not love our lives even unto death. And this morning, I've tried to share part of our lives, not for our glory, not for our edification, not to seem like a martyr, but so that people can see that you are a loving God who walks hand in hand with each of us and meets us where we are on our journey. And the only currency that you ask for is obedience and faith. In fact, in your word, you say that obedience is better than sacrifice. And you say also that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Father, I want to ask right now, would you just come and just move on your people? I pray that, Lord, you would, if there was anything that was part of this sermon this morning that was flesh and that wasn't helpful, that you would just completely eradicate it from people's minds. But I pray that the message of obedience and faith would land, that it would take root, and that this year, many, many, many of our people would walk in the blessing and the breakthrough of God through obedience and faith. Father, would you come and do this by your Spirit, not as an act of our will or an act of our work, but actually by your Spirit, that you would draw us unto you, that we would live a life of radical obedience and extraordinary faith that we would be those that others would look at and say, wow, that looks like Jesus. Come and do it, Lord, as only you can. We commit this next week to you. I pray that as opportunities for obedience come across all of our paths as individuals, that we would not miss the mark, that we would not get it wrong but that we would meet every request of yours with obedience immediately and then extend our faith. Father, I ask this as your humble servant in Jesus' name. Amen.